You've been listening to the weekly sermon from the Vine Church in Madison, Wisconsin, a spirit-filled family that makes disciples and plants churches among neighbors and nations through declaration and demonstration. For more information and service times, check out our website at www.thevinemadison.org. So as human beings, here's the deal. Part of our, our, our human experience is it's good to know your story. Like, it's good to know where you come from. It's good to know how you got to where you are today. Does that make sense? It's good to know, like, what you're connected to. Like, what, what has happened to you, like, in your past that shapes who you are today. It gives orientation. It gives a sense of perspective, right? So, like... As a family, um, we like to watch home movies. And, and so it's really funny how, like, when you are first new parents, like, new parents, beware. Like, there's a billion photos and videos of your first kid. And then that fourth kid, he just has, like, barely anything. You know what I mean? Poor kid. That's how it is in our family, you know. Now, it's not totally true, but it's kind of true. Like, Taylor has got just, like, reams and reams of recordings, you know. And, um, and poor Maya. No, she's got plenty too. But we like to watch some of those old movies, you know, that, that I've taken um, on, on the phone or the camera. And, and for our kids, when, when you look back at their little, you know, toddler stage and all the funny things they would do, it, it helps, I think, give them a sense of orientation. Like, this is who I was. This is where I come from. This is how I got to where I am today. This is my family. It's really fun to watch those videos. Now, one of, the, one of my favorite videos is one that I put a lot of time into, and it's telling our adoption story of our fourth child was adopted, and uh, adopted from Birmingham, Alabama, and her name is Maya, and she's our youngest, and it's just this beautiful, it's a 10-minute video that, it's just a beautiful story of, of my wife, Kim, telling the story and interspersed with some clips um, of when she was a baby and... It's a great point of orientation for Maya as well. I mean, think about that. Like, she can watch that and go, this is your story. This is you at six weeks when we brought you home. This is, you know, the, the story of, of how God moved our hearts to, to, to move into um, adoption as a family. So this should bring profound encouragement to you. You will always have a family. You'll always have a forever family. You'll have parents that love you no matter what. You, you have a new name, a new identity that no one can take away from you. So, so, like, like, so Maya, let that remind you so that you can be encouraged as you move into the future, right? So the whole point here is this. The past gives orientation for the present and the future, right? Your, your past, what has happened to you in the past can, can give you orientation. Your story gives you orientation for the present as you move into the future, right? You feel that? And that's what we're going to see Paul doing in our text for today in Colossians, Colossians chapter 2. As we zero into the heartbeat of God, the heartbeat of the Bible, the heartbeat of this church. So look at Colossians chapter 2. Starting in verse 13. It'll be on the screen. If you don't have a Bible, there's some Bibles on the small tables back here in the corners. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. 
And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So, so, so what, do we, what do we find Paul doing here? In a sense, he's saying, let me remind you of your past. Let me remind you of what has happened to you, spiritually speaking, and, and let's re- remind ourselves and let that shape our present as we move into the future. So, so let's zero in here a little more on how this... Z- how this helps us understand the gospel, okay? So look at it with me in verse 13. Paul starts by giving his audience a point of orientation about where they've come from. And he says something that's not super encouraging, but when it comes to the gospel, we have to start with the bad news before we get to the good news, right? The the bad news shines a huge light and makes the good news all the better, So he says in verse 13, you who were dead in your trespasses. He starts by telling them that they used to be dead spiritually. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I I don't have a lot of experience around dead things, okay? Um, But this summer, my boys and I, we went on a father-son trip that we do every year. And we got to hang out on this 6,000-acre ranch in Texas. And I call it like a grown man's Disneyland. Um, You know, just, you know, all-terrain vehicles and Jeeps and firearms and, like, exploding things. And it was just, it was awesome, you know. And, uh, And so we got to go hunting. And I'm not a hunter. I know Wisconsin, there's a strong hunting culture. I've never been a part of that. But we got to do that in Texas. And one of the things that... If you're a rancher, I mean, I'm learning all this. I'm being educated. It, ranchers in Texas, the, the, the big annoyance, the big thing that's a challenge for them is feral pigs. All right? Don't have a lot of those here, I don't think. There's not a lot of those in Wisconsin. Um, but they're everywhere in Texas. And they reproduce like rabbits. And they're just like this massive nuisance where they destroy crops. And they, you know, they just, farmers and ranchers, they just hate them because they're everywhere. And they're really destructive. And they're mean. And, um... And so the rule is, as I'm being educated down there, is if you see one, you know, because everyone in Texas has a gun, you know, you take it out, right? That's, I don't think that's totally true, but, you know, you feel it when you're down there. It's a different culture. And, uh, and so you, you, if you see a feral pig, you've got to take it out because they're just everywhere. And so uh, we were trying to be good Texas citizens, and so we got one. And, um, and this was a new experience for me. Like, I, I've never gone hunting before. Uh, barely shot a gun before, and, and we actually got one of these feral pigs. And so one of the young men was able to shoot it, and, and I thought I was going to be squeamish when it comes to field dressing it, um, but I was like, all right, I think I should probably try to figure this thing out. So I got to help do that, and it was actually found it quite interesting. But I'd say all that because this, this really came to mind when I was thinking about this text and, and something that is dead. Like, 
here's the thing with deadness. It, it's, it's no longer alive. If something's no longer alive, well, like, what does it do? It doesn't do anything, right? It's dead. Like, what, what is the option for behavior? Zero. It has none. It's dead, right? Dead means dead. There's nothing other than deadness. There's nothing happening, nothing to talk about. Completely unresponsive, like game over, it's finished, right? Lights off, no one's home. So when you read this text in in Colossians 2.13, and how Paul describes what has happened to anyone who becomes a Christian, we should remember what what deadness really means, right? Like that pig wasn't half alive, half dead. No, it was all the way dead, unresponsive. So when Paul says we were dead in our trespasses, what that means is trespassing the desires of our creator, of God, was our only choice, our only option, our only reaction. Like, he's not saying we were a moral pendulum where of our own free accord we swing from good to bad. I want to be near God. No, I want to be away from God. No, he's saying you just swing one way, away from God. That's what, that's what deadness means. Like, like, dead in your trespasses is what the text says. It's like, it's like God has said, here's the line, and I don't want you, because I love you, to trespass that. It's bad for you to trespass that. And I love you, so I want you to do it my way. And we, we just look at him. The only thing we know is we're like, no, we're going to do it our way. And that's the only logical choice in, in our minds before something happens to us, where, where God invades our space. See, we're completely unresponsive of his way of seeing things. Locked in that state of existence. Dead things don't make themselves undead, do they? Right? So no desire for God. No seeing and savoring of the beauty of, of, of King Jesus. It's just kind of like, who, what's up with him? Like what? That, that's, that's the orientation. And then let's keep going. He says, this one's a little more confusing, because he says, you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your Flesh. Now, what he's drawing on here is a big concept from the Old Testament that we have to unpack a little bit. Now, in the Old Testament, God's Old Testament people, the Jews, were given a sign, a symbol, a reminder that they were God's people. And it was the sign of circumcision. He doesn't explain why. He just says, this is what I want you to do. And so they did it. And God commanded his people to circumcise all the males. And he said, this would be a sign that you are my unique people. You are my special people. He says to them, you are my treasured possession. You have been saved by me, chosen by me. Now, in the New Testament, this changes. And I'm not going to explain all that this morning. But I just want you to know that when Paul says, you're dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he's just drawing on this profound Old Testament imagery to just say that you weren't a part of God's people. You didn't know God. You were not part of his covenant 
community. That's what he's saying. You were dead in your trespasses and you didn't know God. You weren't part of his, his people. So he's just reminding them of their past. This is who you were. See, if you're a Christian here today, this is what you used to be. Just like the ancient Colossian believers. This is the doctrine of sin. This is that humans are profoundly broken. We, we tend towards selfishness. We can all recognize that in our own hearts. My default setting just left to myself is just to self-preservation, just selfishness. Like, I, if you just leave me on my own, I'm just going to lean towards pride. The pride of arrogance or, or the pride of just, you know, having a woe is me attitude, self-pity. That's prideful too. And on and on and on. That's just what we naturally do as human beings, apart from the, the Holy Spirit doing a work in our life. Now, Paul doesn't leave them there. Right? Now he's going to, he starts with the bad news. Here's the bad news. And now let me remind you of the good news. Verse 13. And you, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So this is the next part of the journey. You see that there? For anyone who has become a Christian, this is the good news of the gospel. This is why the gospel means good news. Hear the news from Paul. Hear the news from Colossians 13. God has made you alive if you're a Christian this morning. You were dead and God raised you from the dead, from being spiritually dead, just like he said in John 11 to Lazarus, dead as a doornail in the tomb. And Jesus shows up and he says, Lazarus come out and Lazarus did. That's a physical metaphor for a spiritual reality that Paul is showing you here. God called you and you responded. If you're a Christian, that has happened to you. God called your name and you awoke spiritually. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking like, I don't remember any voice. I don't remember that in my experience. But we have to always remember, it's really, really important that we want to define our experience by what the Bible says. So just because I don't remember it or have a, a, um, a, some poignant memory of this doesn't mean it hasn't happened. The Bible says that it's happened, so I have to let that interpret my experience. He opened our eyes to see that Jesus is worthy to be trusted and treasured. The Bible says that's what has to happen. So I receive that. God had to make you alive. Dead things can't make themselves alive. Somebody else has to do that. Remember, dead means dead. So here's then the application question. Who gets the credit for you being a Christian? If you're a Christian here today, who gets the credit for that? Who gets the credit for that? See, the, the text says that God gets the glory. God gets the glory if you've become a Christian. See, it wasn't like you just figured it out. And so, like, what separates you from the guy down the street who hasn't figured that out yet? Is it because you're smarter? See, that would just lead us all to pride, right? But see, this understanding from, from Colossians 2.13 brings profound humility. 
There's nothing in me. There was nothing in me. It wasn't because I just figured it out. It wasn't because I was smarter and those, all those other people are dumber. This is sheer grace, sovereign grace. And that brings two things, thankfulness and humility, a profound degree. You feel that? It's not nothing in you. It was Christ in me, like we just sang. I didn't make myself spiritually alive. God chose to do that in me first, and I responded. God gave me the ability to respond. I don't even get the credit for the ability to respond. I was dead, right? It wasn't just that I was sick and needed a doctor. It's that I was dead, and I needed someone to raise me from the dead. So Paul continues to remind them of their experience. You used to be spiritually dead, then God made you alive, is what the text says, so that you could even see Jesus as worthy to be trusted and treasured. And then what happened? What does it say? Having forgiven us all our trespasses. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, verse 13, God made alive together with, with Jesus, just like Jesus was raised from the dead, we're united to him in his resurrection. And, and, and so it's like we're raised just in the same way spiritually, like Jesus was raised. And then having forgiven us all our trespasses. How amazing is that? You see the word all there? It doesn't say partial forgiveness. It says all. Having forgiven us all our trespasses. Past, present, and future. <clears throat> You've been given the perfection of Jesus himself when you come to him in faith and repentance. It's just credited to you as a gift. God sees you. Your heavenly father sees you as he sees his own son. Perfect spotless lamb because you're united to him in his death and his resurrection when you come to him by faith, okay? But I want to focus here on this phrase, forgiven. Forgiven us all our trespasses. That's so amazing, but we have to stop and go, let's be thoughtful about this. Like, how did that happen? Like, does God just forgive because he wants to? Like, does God forgive with just no payment? Is that just? Is it just kind of random and arbitrary? Let's take a look. <clears throat> Having forgiven us all our trespasses. <coughs> Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, powerful metaphor here, nailing it to the cross. So what does the text say? Having forgiven us all our trespasses, how did that happen? By. See that word by? First word of verse 14. By. That's an action word. That's a connecting word, right? It's connecting forgiveness to something that happened. He did it by canceling the record of debt. <clears throat> canceling the record of debt. So, y'all know what it's like to be in debt? I know, come on. I think a lot of us do. If you, maybe you have a mortgage, school loans, whatever. My, my family, my wife and I, we know what it's like to be in debt. Um, early in our marriage, 
we amassed about $50,000 in debt. So that was mainly my wife's graduate school and then a car loan. <clears throat> and so when you have debt, the, 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 the real downside of debt is that it's kind of like this weight. It's like this backpack that you carry around. And it starts to feel heavy. And it starts to feel even heavier when you want to have more flexibility with the decisions you make in the future. So we decided uh, about, let's see, about 15 years ago to move to Nashville, Tennessee. And I was taking a pay cut to live the like musician dream and go follow that like starving artist deal. And, um, and so our finances got tighter. So you feel that debt heavier when your income decreases, right? And so it got to a point where we're like, well, we have to do something about this because this is unsustainable. So my, my, my sister um, turned me on to the Dave Ramsey revolution, all right? And, you know, you can pick whoever you want. But, like, the point is we needed to have a structure imposed on ourselves, which we got from Dave Ramsey. There's other options out there. Um, but we chose to submit ourselves to a structure to follow, to get out of debt and be more wise with our money. And so, praise God, four years later, 50K in debt turned into 0K in debt. <clears throat> and man, that felt good. I remember paying that last payment and just feeling like this sweet relief. Like the Bible says, the borrower is slave to the lender. And it was like, man, I'm not a slave anymore. This feels good. Like I'm not a slave or I'm not wearing this heavy backpack of debt. Like you know how when you like go backpacking or hiking and you take that pack off to take a break? And it's just like, wow, just light and just feels so good. I can breathe a little bit again. I'm not a slave to this debt. Like this feeling of thankfulness pervading our lives. Now some of you can relate to this because you're in it um, or you've been freed from it. Having that debt removed, it's like the best news in the world. Now, imagine a different scenario, though, that's a little closer to the heart of this text. See, the story I just told is that my wife and I were working real hard. It was discipline and effort over a long period of time. It wasn't fun to, 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 to strip it all away and work at that. Now, imagine if my dad showed up to my house in Nashville and he just says, how much debt do you have right now? 50K? All right, I'll just write you a check. Boom, done. Gone. Nothing to do. No work to do. Nothing to earn. Just here's the best Christmas gift ever. Debt gone. 50K over. Can you imagine that? See, that's the feeling, that's the emotion, that's the idea that Paul is trying to remind these ancient believers in a city called Colossae to be awakened to, like to be remembering. And he wants the same for us this morning. Having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling, just over, it's done, it's gone. Canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. But notice that last part, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It wasn't free. It was free for us. 
free for these ancient believers that Paul's writing to, wasn't free for God. Like the debt was set aside. It's gone. It's over here. You don't need to look there anymore. You just look over here. It's over. Set aside for us. See that in the text? But God set it aside by doing something. He was active. We were passive. We just received. He was active. It was nailed to the cross. This is Paul's way of saying the debt was taken care of, but there was still a price to pay. See, God doesn't just forgive without there being some form of payment because that would be unjust. And God is also a God of justice. So the reality is what what the Bible teaches is that you can pay that payment yourself through eternal separation from God as the just payment for your sin. Because our sin is really that serious. Eternal separation from God. Or... God graciously can pay it for you. See, if someone pays your debt, that that debt doesn't evaporate into thin air, right? If my father writes a check, it's, it's a gift for me and it's gone, but his bank account decreases 50K, right? It costs him something. See, the message of the gospel is this. That God loved you so much that he was willing to forgive your sin debt by taking it on himself. Jesus, God himself as a human, took the hit for us so that we didn't have to. He took our place on the cross by bearing the wrath of God poured out on himself in Jesus at the cross in our place. What does the Bible say? Romans 6, 23. The wages of sin, like what you're owed for sin, what you should be paid, the wages for your sin is death, like Jesus got on the cross. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So Jesus takes our place, right? Bearing the wrath of God in our place. The wrath of God poured out. God is a God of wrath. You can see it at the cross. He pours out his wrath on sin, but instead of on us, on himself, he writes the check. He takes the hit in the bank account. You with me? So when you see Jesus on the cross, your first first thought should be this. My sin was so horrendous that it deserves that. Jesus bore that in my place. And secondly, God loves me so much that he was willing to remove that debt and punishment from me and take it on himself. And thirdly, the response should be, man, I want to turn from that. I don't want any part of that. Look at what my sin did. Look at what it cost. Like, debt is dumb. I don't want to go into debt anymore. After, after my dad writes me that check, right, you're not going to be like, all right, dad, thanks so much. Man, where's my credit card? Let's go to the mall. Right? That's not the response. I want to turn from my sin. When I see that, I want to turn from my sin and run towards Jesus. You feel that? That's called repentance. It's turning from my sin. And, 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 and running towards Jesus is called faith. 
I trust him. I treasure him. I want to head that direction and away from my sin that costs so much, where that debt is so costly. So this is the news that we orbit around as a church, that Jesus died for our sins. He was raised from the dead to prove that death has been conquered. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead to prove that it's all true, that he conquered death, and that you can trust him. If a guy's risen from the dead, you have reason to believe him. When he tells you he's going to rise from the dead and then actually does it, you have reason to believe him. So here's the thing. If you're a Christian here today, when we understand these things, it makes us into a certain kind of people, right? Because what happens is when you, when you believe these things and, and repent and turn from your sin and run towards Jesus in faith, you become a Christian. And when you become a Christian, you receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit then ch- starts to change you slowly from one degree of becoming like Jesus to another And so what does that look like? You start to become less entitled. Because I look at what Jesus did, and I'm so thankful. And I know it's just a free gift. We become people by the power of the Holy Spirit changing us who are willing to extend forgiveness because we see how we've been forgiven by God. And then we're also willing to admit that we're wrong because the cross shows us that we're very, very capable of being wrong. Right? Um, we become people who are generous with our time and with our, with our finances because we see the generosity of God. We're people who are not afraid to be generous. We're people who are not afraid to speak about Jesus because this has just changed our heart and he is who we love now. And so how are you going to not talk about what you love? Right? So we're not afraid to be bold. So, so do you see how when we make, as a church, make the gospel the center, it has the power to change everything? Now, some of you this morning might know that you're not yet a Christian. And you hear this and you're kind of like, eh, I'm not, I'm not there yet. Here's the really cool news. This, this story, it can be your story right now. Like this historical story that Paul is reminding these ancient people of can be your story right now. Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead? Do you believe that based on these two things, your sin is worthy to be turned away from and that Jesus is worthy to be turned towards and trusted with your life and, tr- and, and he is worthy to be treasured above all things? See, if the answer is yes to that question, then you're a Christian right now. This text can be true of you. This story can be your story right now. God making you alive right now. See, if you're, if you're, if you're nodding your head yes, like I think for the first time, I believe that. I get that. What that means is right before you had that moment, God was working in your heart to make you alive with him. This text is now true of you. And so we'd encourage you to tell someone, maybe someone you came with. 
and to pursue baptism as an outward sign of being buried with Jesus in his death, dead to sin, and being raised with Jesus to new life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, turning from sin and turning towards Jesus. But maybe still you're, you're not sure this morning. And you've got questions. I just want to say publicly, like, we are all about questions. Like, questions are not bad. Everybody has questions. I have questions. You have questions. Like, if you're like, what about this? Well, what about this? What about this? Say, bring it on. Let's talk about it. Like, you will not be shamed for your questions, okay? Um, we all have questions. And so, man, if, if, you have, if, if you're on that journey this morning and some of this is not making sense, we would love to engage with you. Maybe someone you came with, someone you're, you're sitting by would love to engage you. So we just want to say you're welcome to, to ask questions. We're available for that. In closing, let, let me read this text one more time just as a way to instill it in our hearts and then we'll continue. Colossians 2, 13 and 14. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this gospel reminder Lord, we thank you that you have done a work in the hearts of those who, who know you and, and want to run from their sin and run towards you. And we thank you for the amazing grace that you've given us in the cross and the empty tomb. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.